people said? Amen. That's great. Thank you. Be seated. I love that. Love that chorus. Hey, go ahead and take your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, but before we go to Ephesians 5, go ahead and flip over to the passage I, I read, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I say this all the time, but it, 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 it's worth repeating. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. So, um, it not only talks about, it defends the resurrection of Christ and all the appearances of Christ in the, his, his resurrection appearances in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15, but Paul talks about the glorified body. It's an incredible passage. And it gives a lot of weight to life after death. We know that. We, we know Christ, the tomb is empty. We're going we're gonna to be resurrected from the dead. We know that. And until then, absent in the bodies present with the Lord, we know all those things. But one thing you may not remember or think, and I mentioned this yesterday, is, is that Paul was taken to the third heaven. Um, translated paradise of the third heaven, Paul was taken there. In one of his encounters with Christ, you know, he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God took me to the third heaven. And so, though there were things Paul saw and he heard that he couldn't repeat, I do think there's several inferences when we're reading what he says about our glorified bodies that maybe he experienced when he was in that resurrected body. Well, I mean, when he got to go to the third heaven. I'm reading verses 51 and 52. I just read them. Um, but I want you to see something that's very important. Um, I tell you a mystery, and of course this is a mystery from all of history until the New Testament church, and then the gospel and the resurrection, and that there's life after death and a new resurrected body. Uh, that was unknown uh, un until the New Testament. So he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And of course that's the word used most often for when Christians leave this world, we really don't die. Our bodies go into the grave and, and the body goes to sleep, not the soul. We, we don't believe in soul sleep. Um, some people try to defend that. But we know <laughs> when your soul, your eternal part of you, leaves your body, that the body's what's hindering you from meeting Christ now. So when you leave that body, you go to be with Christ. So, so we're not talking about soul sleep. We're talking about the body. And so all throughout the New Testament, the word sleep is speaking about the body. I keep thinking about the, the casket right here. And, and you're, you're saying that, so in that, in that casket and in every casket, in every grave, that's a seed that's been planted. And if they're a believer in Christ... One day the Bible says that body's going to come alive. And, and God's going to glorify that body and put the Spirit in it and you're going to, reign, you're going to live with Christ forever in, in that glorified body. You have to also think about, we know that it's true because Christ is with the Father but He bears the marks of the crucifixion. He's in a glorified body but He's still bearing... the. Do you understand that? When he, when he emptied himself and became a, a man and God at the same time, he still maintains a physical existence. And that's the body we're going to be like, uh, the Lord Jesus. And so, so we do believe in that. So he says, we tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And, and the, the, what he's talking about is that 
not everybody's going to be in the grave when Jesus comes back. Aren't you glad? And as a matter of fact, when you read the New Testament, you'll find that Paul thought he was going to be alive when Christ returned for the rapture. Because he kept saying, when we, 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 he felt like he was going to be resurrected. It wasn't until the last book he wrote that he realized that he would, he, he would, not, he would be asleep. And so, so you have, but so some people are going to be asleep. That means their body's in the grave or they've been cremated and their ashes have been spread. But other people are not going to be asleep. They're going to be alive. But no matter whichever one you are, everybody will be metamorphosed, will be changed, will be transformed. And who are you going to be transformed to be like? Christ. That's Romans 8. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, all that's a whole message of itself, and I don't want to spend too much time, but look at the next verse. He tells us how fast this happens. And, and, and um, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's an interesting way of looking at things. It's, um, it's, it's faster than the blink of an eye from what I've read, but that's quick. In the moment, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now, here's what's interesting to me. And if you'll forgive me for, for taking a little time to talk about this. The last trumpet. Well, earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions that, that what happens to the army if there's an uncertain trumpet sound. And what he was talking about, in those days, to direct the armies, they would have trumpeteers who, or a shofar who would blow the horn and based on the sound of the horn, the, the, the soldiers knew what to do. I mean, because they didn't have radios and walkie-talkies, cell phones. So the horn, the, the, the shofar would sound or the trumpet would sound, and the armies would know what to do, right? Well, who's, whose trumpet is this? This is the last trump of God for us. Now, by the way, it's not the last trumpet He's going to blow. There's eight more in the book of Revelation. But this is the last trumpet for the army of God. It's interesting. Because what's going to happen is no matter whether you're in the grave or you're alive, as God's people, all of us are going to gather together and go with Him. We know where we're going. So this is the trump of victory. So He says at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, and guess what's going to happen? The dead will be raised imperishable. And then he says, and then the rest of us are going to be changed. This is no different than 1 Thessalonians 4.16, which says the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. That's what it says, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. So you have this great trumpet sound. It's the, like the armies of God. God is summonsing, summonsing His soldiers to heaven. And so at that trumpet sound, and then the other trumpets after that, they start at Revelation 4.1, and there's seven more. There's trumpet judgments. But this trumpet's the last one we're going to hear because we gather with Him. That's awesome, isn't it? Don't you think so? Maybe you don't, but I think it's awesome. <laughs> Ephesians. Go to the book of Ephesians. Well, Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter uh, 5. Um, I was reading this article um, several years ago and I kept a copy of it or a portion of it and I want to kind of introduce a thought here. Uh, this was several years ago, let's say 10 years ago, I think was the date on it, it might have been 12. And there's a group, time, uh, time, I won't say Time Magazine, 
but Time had an article, and I forgot who the author was, but it was, a, it was an article about a new kind of uh, adult. An adult's a loose term here. They're called Twixters. T-W-I-X-T-E-R-S, Twixters. And let me read you what the article says. This is a generation, and now we're into the second generation of this kind of Twixter, but it says, a generation of young adults that refuse to grow up. They insist, uh, and here's what they insist, that it's their time to spend, indulge, and completely focus on self. Twixters seek a life without serious responsibilities well into their mid to late 20s or even into their 30s. Uh, says, sadly, their daily life is not much different than a teenager, for they still live at home. The Twixters in 2022 enjoy all the gadgets offered by Amazon. It'll be there in two days, uh, but they're going to deliver it to your parents' house because you're still living at home. It says allows Twixters to spend and spend and spend their life away. And then it asks the question, will Twixters ever grow up? I know some Twixters. Literally, I know some Twixters. But I have to ask you another question. Is there not Twixters in church? Yeah. That really never grow up. That, that um, it seems their Christian life is all about them and not about the church or the Lordship of Christ. It's about... It's about them. So they're spiritual twixters too, where their Christian life is more like a consumer rather than a servant. I just thought that was interesting. My Bible's open to Ephesians chapter 5. And if you don't mind, I'm again reading it uh, at verse... Uh, well, let's just pick up at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Which, again, children follow their father, you know, all that we've talked about. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or is, or covets, that is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, 
For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So you have people that, that their life is characterized by the things we just, by the things we just read. Uh, and that the wrath of God, according to Romans 2, is storing up wrath until the day of judgment. So obviously they're not getting away with it, but these are the very things that God's wrath is going to come upon and judge. And so his argument there is, why would we want to participate in those kinds of sins or any kind of sin? Why would we be involved in that? Of course, there is a battle. None of us are perfect. We talked about that in Sunday school about sanctification. And all of us have been set apart by Christ when we're saved. We know that. But none of us are perfect, right? Now, I don't want you to think I ever think that I'm perfect. Uh, hopefully I confess to you enough of my wrongdoings that you realize I'm not perfect. And uh, God expects us to be holy for He is holy. But none of us are going to be perfect. We're going to struggle. And, and uh, Paul struggled. We talked about that. You know, Romans 7 tells us how much he struggled. But it's not that we're... We do want to pursue perfection. We want to pursue godliness. But none of us in here are perfect. So I don't want you to ever think that I think I've arrived because I have not. And I would agree with Paul. The older I get, the less I think of myself. I disgust myself from a spiritual standpoint. Because the older you get, the more you know the demands of Scripture. And you realize how little you measure up. But what we just read, this is describing, this is who they are. They're sexually immoral. They're idolaters. This is their life. That's not true of us. We struggle with those things, but that's not who, that's not our identity. But there's a reason why that Paul brings this up. Now let's look what the scriptures say. He says, therefore, um, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners. Some of your translations may say uh, partakers, but do not become partners with them. And just to kind of give you a context of that word partners, one of the first times that's used in the New Testament, same word, is when uh, Jesus uh, early in, in the Gospels uh, he did this twice, but he tells the disciples, this is when he's calling them to be his followers. He does it again at the end when Peter goes off. But he says, cast your net, and they catch this big load of fish. And it says they call to their partners in another boat to come help them get all these fish. That's the same word. So, so do not become partners with people living in sin. For at one time, now here's the whole message is based on the focus is on verse 8. I'm going to read down through verse 15 or 16, but here's what he's saying, and this is what I want you to think about. Now, we've been talking about the family, but I want you to think about the significance of this battle because this is what it says. He says, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. Now, uh, if you happen to watch, uh, I think I did part of this on Wednesday night when I do my... My, uh, yeah, on Wednesday when I did the Wednesday night Bible study at five online, um, I talked a little bit about this. It, when it says you were, you understand how emphatic that is? If you'll notice, it says you were and now you are. You have this huge con. So at one time before you got saved, you were. Look what it says. You were. It doesn't just say you were in darkness, does it? Does it? It says you were what? Dark. 
it, it's like a domain. It's like a, a place where you dwell. You dwelt. You were. You were part of the problem. You were darkness. Um, it says, but now you are light in the Lord. And we'll come to this in just a second. But you could, obviously, if you were talking about any kind of contrast, any contrast, you could not find anything greater than light and darkness. Ever since you know, creation and God separated them, they've been apart. And, and spiritually, it's the same thing. There's light, there's, there's, the do, there's the domain of darkness, and there's the domain of light. I love what Paul told the Colossians. He says, God, I'm paraphrasing now, Colossians 1, he says, God has transferred you. I like that. I like that word transferred. God has transferred you from the domain of darkness into the domain of light of His glorious Son. So, at, so here's, my, here's where we're going with this. At one time, you were in darkness. You were darkness, but now you're no longer darkness. You're in the light. And so what Paul's going to argue is, whether it's parents or whether it's what you're doing at work, we need to be children of light. Look what he says. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he goes on this little commentary. He says, For the fruit of light. For the fruit of... Interesting. I, I can remember the fruit of light. I, I think when I read this, I think about... Um, and we did this in Bible school years ago, but... Some kids took some seeds, and uh, I don't know how this worked, and again, I didn't do the, the project, but they took seeds, and they put it in a Ziploc bag, or a little baggie, and they poked holes in the baggie, put some dirt on top of the seeds, and the key point, because they have, they have God's dirt, and they have seeds that God made, right? But what's the one thing it's going to need? Light. So they, they uh, taped it in the window of the classroom that they were having Bible school in, and in four or five days, back in those days, we had five-day Bible schools. Can you believe they used to have two-week? Can you believe? I can't believe they had two-week Bible schools. Now I can't believe we had weeks. But anyway, so they, they stuck it in the window, and by the end of the week, guess what it had done? Fruits. It was seeding. It had germinated, and it was producing. So I think about that when I read this. It says, For the fruit of lights is found in all that is good and right and true. So we're producing these fruits of uh, holiness. Let me finish. I'm going to come back to this difference between light and darkness and, and how depraved the world is. And he says, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. The great play on words. But instead, expose them. Now, folks, this is, this is, this is by the way, in the text, in the language of the day, this is a command. Okay, I'm going to give you three words in a minute, kind of outline this if we have time. But this is a command. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So whatever this world is selling, whatever this world is offering you, Paul is telling the saints at Ephesus, have no part in the works of darkness. Don't participate in any of it. It's a, and just think... In the unfruitful works of darkness, don't. And, I mean, you, let's just be honest. Um, and I, again, I I don't want to be negative. I, sometimes I, I preach. I think I'm real negative. Um, 
and I am sometimes, but most of us think that Christianity, we, we dabble with obedience with Christ. Just when I say dabble, we, we live respectable lives with each other. You know, you, we, you know com- compared to me and you, I'm okay. But a lot of us have lost the desire not to have anything to do with darkness. We dabble in it. We, uh, we skirt on the edges of it. We, we don't mind sometimes even committing deeds of darkness. We, so Paul's saying, have no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Then he tells us something else. We not only are to participate in the deeds of darkness, what are we supposed to do? Expose them. Now, you'll know as a believer, the more you walk in the light, you know, the Bible says if we walk in the light as He is in the light, that the more you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater desire you're going to have to expose the works of darkness. And folks, that's not hard to do in the world that we're in because this world is a cesspool of sin. It's public. Folks, when, when you have transvestites go into elementary schools to talk to elementary school kids about cross-dressing and whatever a transvestite is, you are a sick country. We, we're, we're, not a, we're post-Christian. You with me? We're not living in a Christian country. We're post it's far gone. And so all around us is this cesspool. And so what the Bible's saying here is that have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. That's a command. But then he says, but even expose those things as wrong. Of course, you see a lot of this. A lot of us do that. You expose it as being wrong. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. By the way, really there's three statements he makes. Look quickly. Verse 8, he says, walk as children of light. I love that. Uh, The second one is produce fruits of light. Okay, that's the second one. And then the third one is expose. The whole verse of verse 11. Take no part in, but expose them. So there's three specific statements or commands that Paul makes about believers. For then he says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible to light, or anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, this is out of Isaiah, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's out of Isaiah chapter 60. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Um, That word time there, it's not the normal word for seconds clicking off a clock or the hourglass, the sand in the hourglass. It's more a word related to, to time and opportunities. 
So make the best use of the time or the opportunities because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes on, do not get drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. But now, quickly, I, I'm going to come back to this, but I want you to look at verse 6. I mean, sorry, chapter 6, real quickly. I just want to, we're not going to talk about this this morning. I'm, I'm almost out of time, but I want you to, let me pick back up at chapter 6, verse 1, because there's a couple of things he says here that's just so interesting to me. And it goes into, we've dealt with this passage several times because we've been dealing with the family. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. To me, it's interesting to me that we get through talking about light and darkness, and then at the end of that, Paul brings in the, the responsibilities of raising godly children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Uh, this is the first commandment with a promise, uh, that it may go well with you, uh, and that you may live long in the land. That was a promise, you know. For the Israelites, <clears throat> fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. By the way, uh, I told you some of these statistics last week, but uh, I read this week that 25 million children. In America, 25 million children in America don't have a father in the home. 25 million. And think of all the things, of, even, even lost fathers, fathers that aren't following Christ, because they're made in the image of God, there are certain things a lot of fathers do. They protect, they're examples, they suffer. I mean, they're all these, and all, think of all these children that are missing the blessings. Follow along with me. And then he goes into workers, bond servants, but today it would be employees. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. He wants us to be great employees. Uh, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. I say all that to get to this phrase, from the heart. When we think about living in the light and not in the darkness, whether we're thinking about raising godly children in an ungodly world, it begins in the heart. You know, I, there's a lot of things you and I can do on the outside, but what matters is where my heart is. It, down inside of my heart, am I doing what I do to be people pleasers or just to get by enough? to impress you to get to the next service we're going to have. This is a heart thing. And, and you know what Jeremiah says, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You know, so, so it's, a, it's heart issues. You know, whatever comes out of the mouth, where does it come from? The Bible says it comes from the heart. Hold, hold your finger here real quickly and go back to Luke's gospel. Go to Luke 6 real quick. and Let me just read this and then we'll move on and close. But Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and, and look at verse, uh, Luke chapter 6, look at verse 45, uh, well, verse 43, this, the good, for, for no good, verse 43, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree uh, bear good fruit. 
For each tree is known by its own fruit. And Jesus said that about me and you. You don't have to judge the heart. I can't see people's heart. But the Bible calls us to judge fruit. We're fruit inspectors. And Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. So when we make calls about people, we... You know, we're not judging their leadership, whatever it is. We're not judging their hearts. We can't see the heart. That's God's business. But we can see their lives, their fruits. And so you judge them by their fruits. For He says, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasures, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So it's, it's a heart issue. And I'll tell you what scares me about that. Is, and, and I don't want to get into it now, but just something to think about. I think about the, the, the book of Leviticus that tells us the sins of the Father. You know where I'm going with that? The sins of the Father passing to the third and fourth generation. So if we're, if we're raising kids without, children, without fathers and we're doing that, and, and we're raising kids with pagan fathers, and then God says that that, that, that bondage, that now I have to explain that, it's not saying that my father's sin becomes my sin. But it's an example for me to sin. Do you understand? My dad didn't sin for me. I sinned for myself. But he can set an example for me to live in sin. And that's what I did before I got saved. So that's what he's talking about. I mean, you, I'm not accountable for my dad. My dad's not accountable for me. But my father set an example. And, and what he's saying is, if you go back and read that, when father set a poor example, that, that poison can poison all the way to third or fourth generation. That's what he's talking about. So it's about the heart. Anyway, I'm chasing rabbits. Go back to chapter 5 and let me just mention a couple things. When we talk about the world of darkness, and just think about what the Bible says. Uh, Jesus said in John 3, uh, John 3, 19 says, this is the condemnation. This is after John 3, 16. Jesus says, here's the condemnation. Uh, that light has come into the world, speaking of himself, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Remember that, John three nineteen. But then he tells you why. Because their deeds are evil. Do you know why people reject Christ and why people reject biblical truth? Because they're evil. The Bible says lost people are depraved. Every, and depravity means that, that sin affects every part of life. I'm talking about whether it's thoughts, intents, whatever, parenting, whatever part of your life. Depravity means that sin affects that. And Jesus says that men love darkness rather than light. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they may not believe the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. So, wants to blind us... Uh, 1 Peter 2.9 says, uh, For you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Listen, you and I were 
darkness, but now we're light in Christ. That is a, that is a monumental difference. People that are in darkness, they're depraved. The Bible says they're deceived. Um, they walk in darkness. They're deceived. They're blind. They're deaf to spiritual things. They're dead. The Bible says they're dead in sin. And they're desperate. They're desperate. So we, we don't want to have anything to do with the, the wicked fruits of darkness. Quickly, there's three things I want, just want to share with. Number one, when you read this, he reminds us that there's a great contrast between lost people and saved people. So if you're here today and you're claiming to be saved, it's like saying, I'm the light and the world is darkness. That's what you're saying. So Rome, uh, Ephesians 5 is saying there is a massive contrast between those that are saved and those that are lost. Can you say that God has transferred you into His, in the light of His Son or out of the domain of darkness into His glorious light? Or that you would proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So Paul's reminding the Ephesian believers and reminding us there is a massive contrast between us and the lost world that's out there. A massive, massive difference. But not only is there a contrast, you can read this, and there's a command. Not, you know, we can say, well, I don't walk in darkness, but there's more to it than that. The Bible has commands of things that we ought to be doing in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's things we do. You know, when I was reading this just casually several weeks ago, when it says, just, just think, it says, uh, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. I mean, then he says it's even shameful to think of the things they do. Uh, how, many of us, how many of us want to do that? Uh, then he says, uh, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ was, Look carefully then, verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk. So how many of us are, you know, we don't want to have part anything to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. Then how many of us look carefully how we walk? We desire to walk Christ-like. I mean, how many of us have that? So there's contrast there's commands, and then he describes, if you pick up verse 15, really down through verse 18 and 19, he talks about our, our commitment. But let me show you this last thing. If you're looking at your Bibles, this word, when it says making the best use of your time, matter of fact, I used to love the New King James, I think, uh, uh, maybe the translation of the New King James. It, it describes buying back the time, purchasing the time is kind of how it describes but it says, making the best use of time because the days are evil. It's like you have this opportunity to buy back time in the sense that you can purchase it redemptively. Everything, every moment of life is an opportunity and, and you can either walk in the light or you can participate with the deeds of darkness. But here's what's interesting to me, and I, I did not know this, something new I learned. The Greeks had a... Uh, the Greeks had a, a, an idol they used, and it was called the idol of opportunity. Now, I did not know this, but I looked at pictures of it and read about it. And this is what it was. It was a, it was a statue, and it was usually life-size. It was a statue of a youth. You could tell it was a youth in, in their face and all that. And maybe you've seen some of these, but the, the, the youth figure, figurine, 
had uh, wing, their hands were wings, and their back had wings on it. The front of their head had luscious hair, but on the back of their head it was bald for the passing of time. And so it was, the whole thing was about the idol of opportunity, and, and the whole message there in the Greek word was how fast time flies and how opportunity passes us by. And we can't, you know, we can't recall the time, but the time that we have now and forever in the future, we need to be very wise. And that's why Paul says, making use of our time, because the days, the days are evil. Cindy uh, was reminding me, uh, the Huggins, John and Cindy, she came up to me, and this, y'all know this, but... It, it's shocking to think through it, but Cindy and John were the first ones married in this building. Cindy, are you still in here? Well, Cindy came and told me that where she's not in. Oh, hey, Cindy. Uh, hey, John, you're there too. Hey, John, you see. But anyway, there she was telling me that they got married eighteen years ago. So, for those of you who have been here a while with me, we've been in this building. Over 18 years. I just say that to say this. How many opportunities have come and gone? Uh, in, in just the 18 years of being in this building. How many opportunities have come and gone? In my life, how often has the darkness won and not the light? In your life, how often has the darkness won and not the light? Folks, our world's a mess. And lost people, the devil, the prince of darkness, the god of this age, whatever term you want me to use, it is the domain of darkness. God's called us out into a marvelous light and we need to be sharing with the lost world about the goodness of God and the authority of Scripture. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.